I'm just going to go in and show you this. There are no outlines. We put everything up here on the screen for you. I don't know how much of it you need to write down, but uh, there are sermon note um, sheets out there if you want to get any of those for it. But here's our question. Can I vote for someone who is not God's man or woman? Or could I vote for my number two, number three, number four choice? Because I think no matter who it is that uh, we wanted to vote for first, they probably didn't get in. And somebody else is, is in there. I think uh, it happens on the Democrat side, the Republican side. I know my first choice didn't get in. My second choice didn't get in. And by the time the second choice was out, there wasn't any other choice to go to. <clears throat> that was kind of, kind of it. So uh, what happens with this? How is it? That, what, what are our responsibilities as Christians to do for this? There was an article that was just put on Facebook. Somebody put it up there today. And I was going to bring it over to read it to you. Uh, Brother Copeland put it up. And his uh, whole idea was, that as a Christian, you basically need to sit down and read the platform of the Democratic Party and the platform of the Republican Party and see which one lines up with the Word of God the most. Now, that's a way to go. Now, he had highlighted certain things out of the Democratic Party uh, platform and the certain ones out of the Republican platform and so forth that you can do. And I think he'd probably nitpick at each one of them and, and uh, nail each one for things that are unscriptural. I wanted to stay out of the political aspect of it, but the reason I bring that one up was because if you looked at that, and uh, anybody ever see, did anybody see that article was put up? I don't even know who put it up there today. I think uh, John George or somebody like that put it up. Um, if, you, if you look at it, you get the idea that as a Christian, if you vote for the wrong candidate, uh, you, you're going to, basically what it says is, you'll, you'll incur the same punishment as that uh, candidate will for the platform that they run on. Now, I'm not completely sure that that's true. Because it's not like we have a whole lot of choices. We basically have two. And if you vote for the third party, you're pretty much throwing your vote away, as most people have uh, often said, because there has not been a third party winner in or even come close in a long time. So you're picking one side or the other. So I, I think a lot of Christians have that attitude that Brother Copeland was, was putting in there. And you can get the idea that I'll not vote, because if I don't vote, at least then I'm not guilty of whatever these people are, are doing. Um, because I don't think either party, I mean, the Republican Party used to be the d direct opposite of the Democrat Party, but they're moving more over and as a platform. They're moving more over to a, a liberal agenda than uh, I, I as a Christian like. And so I generally just take a look at the candidates and, and see how they're going. But we're not going to take a look at Trump's platform. We're not going to look at um, uh, Hillary's platform. We're not going to be talking about health issues. We're not going to be talking about how they talk to the media. Some people like the way one talks, one don't like how the other one talks and so forth. We're trying to stay out of those kind of issues and those kind of things. What I wanted to do is go back in the Word of God and look at this. What makes a leader successful? And if we look at what makes a leader successful and understand that, then perhaps it can help us to understand our choices here because we basically have two choices. And, um, you know, we're not, I don't know about most of, most, I can't speak for you. I know I am not thrilled with the choices that we have. I can certainly side with one more so than the other, but I'm not thrilled with the choices that we have. Because of the process of things and how they go, and the way the media has been overtaken by uh, unsaved, unrighteous, um, ungod-fearing people, and the way that they have grilled candidates, they basically go through the, the political process and eliminate anyone who has strong Christian values by finding different ways to, um, to, to, to bring that uh, about. When it's been a lot of years since we've had a f house full of very strong Christians running for president. 
We've got some quasi-Christians. We've got some absolute non-Christians running for it. The last one that I remember that I would consider to be a really strong Christian with the kind of moral character that I would like to see was Herman Cain in the election before. I love the way that he stood for his values. I liked the way he had beliefs. Uh, he was one of my favorite candidates. This time, I didn't have anybody in the party uh, that had the values that he did. And we look at this and we say, well, why is that? We have to understand that because of the way the news media is right now, anyone who is a strong Christian, has strong moral character, is probably going to decide before the election ever gets here, I'm not running. I think after the treatment Herman Cain got, I don't blame him any of them if they don't run because that was abysmal what they were doing with him. I, I still never heard that any of those accusations they brought against him ever had any merit. And just the way the news media jumped on it, it, uh, it, was, it was too bad. But um, I was disappointed, still disappointed. I still fume at that because to me, he was one of the best candidates we've had in recent years who had some really neat ideas on how to fix some things in our country. And he didn't get... Um, uh, much of a chance to, to do any of that. But either way, we are stuck with the guys that we have. So who is it that we, we can do? So the only place we can really grow in Scripture that we can get principles for this is in the Old Testament and some of the places that we were already studying in, in times past. So we're not going to spend a whole lot of time looking at all the individual Scriptures. Most of you folks have been out here on Wednesday night have been through the kings of the uh, Israel and Judah, and we know a lot of things that were going on with that. But going over to our first slide... Here are some of the... I found this uh, nice little graphic and it sure was a whole lot easier than me making it up. And they did a nice uh, job with this. They got the little uh, a graph over here and uh, two smiley faces. They're extra good. One smiley faces is good and same thing with the bad. Two, two frowny faces and one bad, uh, frowny face and so forth. And then they put an arrow in there for people who changed midway on through. Now, he, um, he keeps this format for a few of them, then he changes the format later on. It becomes a little bit more involved, but we'll just kind of go through here and take a look at this. We have Saul, which, of course, we know uh, started out and maybe for the first year or two was okay, and, but he went bad pretty quickly. David, he gets two smiley faces. Uh, certainly one of the best kings that Israel ever had. Was not perfect. He had a lot of problems, uh, but he had far more good than he had problems. If we could get somebody like David, you know, that'd be, uh, that'd be all right. And then we had uh, Solomon, and he went from one smiley face to two frowny faces. He was, uh, he was not, I probably would have started him off with two smiley faces if it was me, but uh, I didn't create this and, and do this. Then the, the kingdom splits, and we have Rehoboam, who got two frown faces, and Jeroboam, who also got two frowny faces. And so these are just uh, some of the ones, and we're just going to run through these just to kind of review us on who's the good ones and who's the bad ones. Go ahead to the next slide. We have uh, Abijah, Asa, Jehoshaphat, Jehoram, Ahaziah, and Queen Athaliah. We, I don't know why she only has one smile, uh, upset face. She should have had three. She, she is about as bad as they did get. So I'm not sure what was going on with that. Maybe, uh, I, I don't know. But anyway, uh, Abijah got one uh, frowny face. Uh, Asa, two smiley faces, and then he kind of went into a bad direction. We know the last couple of years that his reign wasn't all that good. Jehoshaphat, we got one smiley face. Did not get put two in there, and uh, he's kind of borderline between one and two for me. I think he did some good things, but he was kind of uh, foolish, and uh, we know that he made some pretty bad decisions. Uh, anyway, Jehoram, he's got two uh, frowny faces. Ahaziah, uh, one frowny face. He was a little bit better, 
than the other. And if we go over to the other side, we pretty much know the other side over here. They're all bad. Some are worse than others. But um, there's none of them that are real, real good on this side. Ahab, of course, he's one of the, the worst ones. Omri, he was a, a pretty nasty one in, in there. Um, Ahab had Jezebel. Well, they got the plus in there. She was the queen, but just she was very strongly influenced Ahab, and so they probably why they put her up there. Now you can take a look at the prophets that are here. You got Elijah, Elisha, and Jonah. And this is where their um, influence came in. Go over to our next slide. We have Joash, Amaziah, Uzziah, and we go from uh, Joash. We go from a smiley face over to a frowny face. Amaziah, the same thing, and Uzziah. He was a good king most of his life. Uh, he had some problems at the end, but not enough to probably denote a change on there. Jeroboam the second on the other side is probably the best that Israel ever had as far as kings was concerned, uh, but not good enough to get a smiley face. <laughs> you can see Elisha's influence and Amos's influence in there. Go on to our next slide. This is where we changed the format a little bit. Uh, we had Jotham on the side of Judah and Ahaz. Uh, Jotham was a pretty decent king. Ahaz, uh, not so much. He, he was fairly uh, poor on that. Look at the prophets. These are the prophets that were influencing them. They were mostly on the uh, Judah side. Then you have these guys on the uh, side for Israel. Uh, none of them were good. They were all, all bad. And we'll go over to the next slide. Again, we have Hezekiah, Manasseh, Hezekiah from two smiley faces, down to Manasseh, who was two uh, frowny faces, Ammon, and then Josiah, we're back up again. Look at the prophets again, Hosea, Isaiah, Micah on the, the one side, and we get down here with Josiah, the reign of Josiah, who was a good king. And we have Nahum, Jeremiah, and Zephaniah. Now, there are some places here where there are no prophets. There were probably prophets there. But either they're not included in Scripture because they didn't have enough influence with the king. The king didn't pay them any mind. Uh, but you know that God has sent prophets. There were always prophets there. We just don't know who they were. So we're not saying that they were not there, but their influence over the king was not there. And that's really what we're looking at here for tonight anyway is, is that part. Go over to the next slide. Now this is one I was just... Uh, I, I like the way they put this together. We have... Uh, Israel in a revival state. In the middle part, we have Israel in a good state. And then the bottom, we have Israel as an evil state. And you can kind of see the graph up and down as to... This is just looking at the kings of Judah. We're not looking at the kings of Israel because you could probably just flatline them pretty much. <laughs> I actually did see one that put a graph on it. And they did something like this. They had it started up over here under Jer, uh, Jeroboam and then kind of went downhill and stayed over here. Under Jeroboam the second, you see a little blip that went up and then it was, <laughs> that was pretty much it. Um, and that's, that's pretty much the case of, of Israel. We're not really going to be looking at the kings that were there. There are a couple of the kings over there we are going to look at and, and learn some things from it. But here you got some of uh, these, these graphs here. Rehoboam, of course, and Abijah. Uh, things are moving up. They go all the way up to Asa, where we get into the good realm. And then Jehoshaphat. We brought into full-scale revival mode over there. We go from there and just drop right on down, back into the evil spot for the next three kings. Then Joash comes up. Uh, this is, of course, where Athaliah was, and Joash was hidden. Uh, Amaziah, Uzziah, Jotham, good areas. Uh, we're kind of descending, though. Uh, Ahaz comes up, and this is, this is bad. Hezekiah brings us back into revival, and then we go all the way down to the bottom with Manasseh. <laughs> uh, Ammon, 
and then Josiah were back up here in the revival, and then we went back down, and that was it. We, uh, we stayed down in there. But that gives you an idea. The four revivalists that we had here was Jehoshaphat, Joash, Hezekiah, and Josiah. Other good kings, Asa, Amaziah, Uzziah, and Jotham. The rest of the kings pretty much are in the tank. They're bad. Not too, not too much good that goes on there at all. Head over to our next slide. All right, here's the thing. God picked some of these kings. So we're going to take a look at the kings that God picked. This is God's hand-selected man to do the job. He did not pick any women, so we're just looking at God's man for the job. That's all they picked for kings was the man. So the first one up is Saul. God picked Saul because of what was in him, the heart of Saul. That changed once he came into power. About a year or two after he came into power, he became more prideful, more full of himself, and we see that he kind of went downhill from there. That one didn't work out so good. Next one we saw was David. David, of course, he had his ups and downs, but for the most part, he was good. Even when he missed it, he repented. He kept his heart right before God. Then we had the next king that God picked, which was Solomon. Now, Solomon is one of those ones. Uh, he is handpicked by God. One of David's sons was going to take the throne. But the son that was supposed to take the, the throne, according to the way of kings, was not Solomon. And you remember if we were, when we were back in the book of Kings that there was a battle that went on, and, uh, and Solomon won out. And they went to David and said, David, I thought you wanted Solomon to be king. Yeah, that's what God said. God picked Solomon to be king. And we know that once he took the throne, he, of course, had that visit with God. And he said, give me wisdom. And God was pleased with his choice. And he had great wisdom. And the kingdom was doing very good for a while. And then, of course, it went, uh, it went bad. Our next one up was Jeroboam. He was God's hand-picked man to take the kingdom from the house of David. Ten tribes would be going to him. And he lasted to be good for... Maybe not even a day. <laughs> and pretty much as soon as he took the throne, he had the thought that, hey, they're all going to leave me and kill me and so forth. And so he took counsel and uh, the golden calves were set up and things didn't go so well. One more king God picked, and that is Jehu. Jehu was handpicked by God. God said to uh, Elisha, Elijah, but Elisha was the one who sent somebody to do it, go anoint Jehu, go anoint this king, king of Syria, and... Uh, uh, we're told Elijah, uh, anoint Elisha as your replacement. Elijah only, re- only anointed um, Elisha. He didn't do the other two. And so Elisha took care of the other two, anointing uh, the Syrian king and Jehu as king. Jehu was extremely zealous for the things of God all the time that he was running for president. <clears throat> Just kind of put it into modern ter- terminology here. As soon as he took the presidency, as soon as he took the kingdom, he went south. And he became very poor. But until then, he was very zealous for the things of God and actually bragged about it. He said, come see how zealous I am for the things of God. And when God told him to do something, he went out there and he did it. He did it completely. He, took, he wiped out all the prophets of Baal. He was deceptive in doing it, but he wiped out every single one of them. He made sure that not a single one of them escaped. And he did a fine job of all the things that he did. But not short, very shortly after he took the throne, he went south and... He wasn't that good of a king. So here we got these five guys that God picked. How many of them were good? One's good, one's eh, fairly good, but in the rest of them, could have done without them. All right, go on to our next slide. Then we have the usurpers. These are the guys who just kind of took the throne. We don't have that in the area of, of uh, Judah except for the queen who took the throne, usurped it for a little bit. She wasn't supposed to have it. 
The Bible leaves her out in the genealogies. We leave her out of tonight. But here's the uh, usurpers that come in. Look at how many usurpers we got. And that's uh, one, two, three, four, five, six. We got uh, seven of them there. Uh, people who just took the throne. They killed their predecessor. And we have a whole new uh, bloodline taking the, the throne here. So this is what we have for the usurpers. None of them are good. So if you want to draw a lesson from this, anybody who takes the throne by practices that are outside of the norm are always bad. Always bad. So that would be like, for us, uh, election fraud. Best, best thing I can bring in there. Uh, or if you go over and you bump off the candidate that was running against you, it's not good either. I, don't, I would not have high hopes for that particular person. Let's go on to our next slide. Uh, so what makes a good king? Or even... or what, what, Supposed to be what makes a great king, Mr. Uh, wrote that one, or even just a good one. What is it that makes these things? Now, I've told you these principles before. I've given you three. I kind of bumped this up into uh, something you can write down. This is, this is my personal thing. I take it from principles in the Word of God, but um, it's not etched in stone or anything like that that you can you know, change it as you need. But here's the first one. I think this is huge. This is big. Um, oh, all right. We're hitting this slide first. I was thinking we were on the, uh, the other one. Uh, first off, it doesn't seem to be that what makes a good king is that it's God's selection. So being God's man, or in our case, God's man or a woman, does not seem to be the thing that makes them the, a good president or a good king. Because we had how many that God picked? Five. One turned out to be good. That's not saying God doesn't know how to pick them. You've got to understand he has to work with what he has. And out of all the people that he had, Saul was the best guy. Maybe he's saying, you know what? I sure wish we had somebody better, but there's nobody better. This is it. This is... And, and Saul made his own decisions. Out of all the people in Solomon's reign, the best one he could find was Jeroboam. And even then it went bad. So understand this. When you get into that office, whether it be the king back here or a president for us, the, the pressure to change and the pressure to become something different than you were when you got in is huge. And that's what we're going to face here with this. So it doesn't seem to be that just because you are God's selection, that does not seem to mean that you're going to be a good king or a good president. Let's go on to the next one. It doesn't seem to just be the individual. Just because of the individual that's there, um, that doesn't seem to, to be the case either because all those individuals were upstanding individuals. They were good individuals. They were individuals that uh, had good character to them. But they just didn't seem to be... That by itself did not make the, make the cut. Go on to the next one here. It does seem to be the persons they associate with or have in their service. And this is the thing that I found amongst all the ones that became good kings and those that became bad kings was this principle right here. Let's go over here and take a look at this. First one, king up, is King Saul. Let's take a look at who he's got in his service. We don't get a whole lot in it. One of the only ones we're told that's in his service who does things for him is Doeg. You remember him. He is set over the servants of Saul. He didn't do so well. He was not a good guy. He killed a whole bunch of uh, priests. Um, he just was not a person of great moral character. He was the one who betrayed that David was was in a place he had overheard David talking with the priest and then Saul came in and he said um, we're going to wipe out all these priests because they helped David and his men didn't want to do it 
the, the soldiers. And so he said, who's going to do it? And Doeg said, I'll do it. And so he went out there and killed them. Let's go to the next one. Look at the people here that he distanced. The first one we see here is he distanced Samuel. He pushed Samuel away. Samuel would be a good influence in your life, but he pushed him away. He didn't accept his influence. He kind of kept him. He just wanted him around because the people would see uh, good things if Samuel was around him. But that's, that's the only thing that he had. Next one was David. David is a high moral character guy, upstanding guy. And Saul brought him in. But after a while, that high moral character of David and the low moral character that Saul began to walk into, they clashed and he began to push him away. Look at the next one. Jonathan, there was a rift that came up between his son and him. And Jonathan, we know, was someone of great moral character. High class person there. And um, that caused a problem between him and Saul. Another one is, uh, I think that should have been up over in the other. It got moved down. But anyway, Doeg, he killed the priest at Nob. That was 85. 85 of them. And uh, uh, boy, I'll tell you what, things, things got changed all over. I don't know why Basha is over in here, but he's not supposed to be. <laughs> head, on, head on over to our next. King David, let's take a look at who he's got in his, uh, his help there. Ahithophel. Now, Ahithophel was part of a uh, conspiracy, but he was a man of God. He was a man who served God. And it was said of him that if you got his wisdom, it was like hearing from God himself. He was one that was in David's service. Nathan the prophet. Great, great man there. And David leaned on him heavily. Received a lot of the wisdom that Nathan had. And even when Nathan had to come and rebuke David, David received it. Go on to the next. Zadok and Abiathar the priest. Great priest in the time of Israel. And David had them in. He was very close with them. They were very close to... Uh, they, they were a part of each other's days. A lot to do with each other. Um, you'll see them mentioned quite often in Scripture. Benaniah, or Benaniah, he was a, a, just a highly, high, high character guy. David had him in his service, had him doing a lot of things. He was a man of war, but he was, he's a, a lot of good things there for David. Uh, then beside that, we also had the three and the 30. And the Word of God spent some time to talk about the high character of each of these guys and how they uh, operated in the, David's kingdom and how they were used and so much was said with that. David was able to get a lot of good people around him. More so than anyone else, we know that David had gotten good people around him because so much time is spent about David. If there were people that were of low moral character, David separated himself from them. When someone came up and told him that Saul was dead, that he was the one who killed him, what did David do? <laughs> he had him executed. You said yourself you killed him. And so I'm just going to judge you by your own words. This is... a uh, he does not want people like that around him. There was, a, there was a problem with David. In David's heart, he did not want to have people that were like that around him. Even when the commander of his army really started turning bad, David had a problem getting him out, but had a, there was a, a rift that was there. And one of the dying things he said to Solomon is, take care of him. He should not be doing what he's doing, but take care of him. And you know, David had compromised his own self with him. It just wasn't, wasn't good. But David had a hard time with people of low character and brought people of high character in. His success in his reign had a lot to do with the people that were around him. A whole lot to do with that. His success, even when he was, before he took over, was because of his 600 men and what he did to bring them, to raise them up. 
and take the worst of society and make them into somebody good. That's what David had done. The next corner, our next, next king, King Solomon. We see in the beginning he had some wise people around him to help him out. Go ahead with our... He had many wise counselors. We know this because when his son takes over, they were still there. He rejected their counsel, but they were still there and they gave wise counsel then. So King Solomon, as a wise man, the wisest man the Word of God said ever walked the face of the earth, all that wisdom... He still, had, he still got counselors around him and apparently good ones. Now, here's his problem. He took many foreign wives. Take a look what Scripture says about that. 1 Kings 11, verse 1, But King Solomon loved many foreign women as well as the daughters of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites, from the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, You shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn away your hearts after their God. Solomon clung to these in love. Verse 3. And he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. And his wives turned away his heart. For it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God as was the heart of his father David. So it didn't happen right away. It didn't happen right away when when he multiplied these wives to him. But eventually, as he got older, he didn't hold to the principles that he did before, and his wives wore him out. And they told him, you know, keep going after the other gods. Keep going. Well, I'm not talking about word about that way. I'm talking about word his principles out. That's just, uh, he had certain principles that he held to, but they, they took care of that. And they said, no, we want this. We want to worship this. We want to worship this. And he gave in to them. And he brought the idolatrous practices in there, and the good, upstanding character that he had was... Uh, worn down by these uh, foreign women who brought in these things with the foreign gods. So the reason that he was successful in the beginning was the good people that were around him. The reason he was unsuccessful in the end was because of the multiple multitude of wives who drove his heart away from God. And after these other ones. Go on to the next one. Rehoboam. He rejected his father's wise men. When he got that request from Israel, he, he brought them on... Uh, had the big meeting. He says, uh, they said to him, lighten the load. He said, I'll come back to you in three days. He went and talked to the wise men first, his father's counselors. And they told him to do one way. You know, give in to him a little bit. You give in to him a little bit here, you're going to have him forever. And he didn't want to do that. So we rejected that. Look at the people he went to. He listened to, and as the word said in 1 Kings 12, 8, the young men who had grown up with him. He wanted people that would agree with him. He wanted people that would would uh, make him feel good about himself. Go on to the next one. King Jeroboam, in 1 Kings 12, 28, Therefore the king asked advice, made two calves of gold, and said to the people, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel, which brought you up from the land of Egypt. He asked advice. He got counselors around, and this is what his counselors told him to do. So would you say that those are good counselors or bad counselors? They are bad counselors. I think we have one more verse on Jeroboam. Nope, we're going over to Joash. Second Kings 12.2, Joash did what was right in the sight of the Lord all the days in which Jehoiada the priest instructed him. And he was a good king in that beginning. He did all kinds of good stuff. Sometimes he was even going over what Jehoiada had, had done as, or taught him as good. And he was, he was uh, pushing for things in the area of worship, pushing for things and getting the house of God rebuilt and fixed up did wonderful things all the days that Jehoiada the priest instructed them. But then Jehoiada died. And we go on to another verse here. 
and that's in uh, Chronicles, I believe, Second Chronicles 24:17. Now, after the death of Jehoiada, the leaders of Judah came and bowed down to the king, and the king listened to them. Therefore, they left the house of the Lord God of their fathers and served wooden images and idols, and the wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem because of their trespass. After the death of Jehoiada, there are leaders in Israel, and they come to, or in, in Judah, and they came and bowed down to the king. You know, oh, king, you know, you're great, you're good. And the king listened to them. They came with a request. We want to do these other things like we were doing before. And he gave in to them. Why? Why did he stand before for the things of, of good, and now he doesn't? It's the people that were around him to influence him. As long as Jehoiada was there, Jehoiada had his group of people and they were all brought in and they influenced him in a good way. And as soon as they, he is gone, he goes this way. So much so, if you remember the story, that he even kills the descendants of Jehoiada the priest. Jehoiada who saved him from being killed himself. And he goes and he kills them because people told him to. Because people counseled him to. Because he followed after their instructions. And so a, a good king turned very bad because of the people that were around him. He was good while there were good people around him. He was bad when there were not so good people around him. You need to have good people around you. Let's go on to the next slide. Here's the qualifications of a president. I've given you these things before. Go to our first one. Um, first thing that a president should do, person who's going to run for the office of president, is they need to have run something big. I've told you before, I got three things on this list. I made this one bigger. I still have three things on my list. But I've made this one a little bit bigger so I can explain some of them a little bit more. But first off, they need to have run something big. The presidency is not a place to learn how to run something big. You need to go out there and do something else. There's a couple of subpoints we have here so, uh, just to bring them up. Uh, state governor and a, a mayor of a big city. These are great qualifying places for people to become president. Uh, <clears throat> You can't, you know, you can't test out presidency. You have to test it out someplace else. When you're a governor of a state, that's the closest thing you are going to get to running the country. You're running one-fiftieth of it, so to speak. I mean, if you're in Rhode Island, I don't even think that should count. <laughs> there are ranches in Texas bigger than Rhode Island. <laughs> but I, don't, I don't know how much that one should, should do, but you should at least run some kind of a, of a state. A governor makes a much better uh, transition to presidency than a lot of the others. Sometimes we, we go back through history in our country. Uh, some of the worst ones to take the presidency are ex-senators and ex-generals. Now, a general has run something big, but generally it doesn't transfer too well into that. Now, Washington was the first general who became president. And he was an outstanding president, but that pattern didn't hold for too many others. There was, um, uh, I mean, some of them were okay, uh, but not always. But anyway, we didn't even put that one in there. But just they need to have run something big. Most of the time that we are looking out at the presidential candidates that are there, we are lacking someone who has run something big. Now, this is another reason why I liked Herman Cain before when we had that. He ran something. He didn't run a state. He, he wasn't a, um, a governor. He wasn't a mayor. But he had run some very large corporations, which to me, I would, I would certainly count that as a, as a qualifier. I mean, not just small, large ones. Took some... Uh, Bad corporations, made them into good corporations. He ran quite a few different uh, things in that. One was that uh, one of the pizza places, one of the national, I can't think of what it is. No, it wasn't Godfather's. I don't, I don't think it was that one. Anyway, you all know that he, he ran that. But he took it from something, 
that was falling apart and made it into something really strong. And he had this pattern that whatever he picked up, he made it into something strong. For me, he qualified there, even though he was not a state governor or a large city mayor. I just put those things up there so you can see that. A mayor of New York, I mean, you're pretty much running, you have as much responsibility as some governors of some states would, would have. So the, you need to have run something big. In the Word of God, he, he says, if, you're, if you are faithful with a small amount, you'll be faithful with a large amount. So that's what we need to see. How faithful were they with something small? People who are senators, all you're running is your senator's office, which consists of a staff of, what, three, four, five people? I mean, it's not a whole lot. There's not a whole lot of staff in a senator's office. You're not running much. Uh, you're, you're in the political process, but you're not running much. Here's the second thing I put on the, the list. A history of defending and abiding by the Constitution. I don't just want somebody who says to me that they believe in the Constitution. I want somebody who has a history of it. Show me that you have stood for the Constitution when opposition has come against it. Show me that you haven't backed down. Well, I don't like that, uh, that amendment. No, I don't like the Second Amendment. I don't like the First Amendment. I don't like the Fourth Amendment. I don't care if you don't like it. It's part of the Constitution. Are you going to defend it? Whether you like it or not, you need to defend what the Constitution is because you're going to be put in that, uh, that place there. So to me, I, I want to see a history of defending and abiding by the Constitution. The next one, a strong moral code. Now, I added this one in. This is not usually on my list because generally anyone who has a history of defending and abiding by the Constitution also has a strong moral code. Anyone who has a strong moral code usually also has a history of defending and abiding by the Constitution. So they're kind of hand in hand there for me. But uh, I separated it just so that we, we'd see. The founding fathers talked about the Constitution that if the person who's in charge, the people who are in power, if they do not have a strong moral code, that the Constitution will be woefully inadequate to govern our land. That it requires people to have a strong moral code. You must have it. Because the Constitution can't replace that. So we put people without a strong moral code into a place of public office the Constitution won't help us to keep them from usurping power. That's, uh, that's the Founding Fathers, if, uh, if you've ever read those, those, uh, some of the papers that they had written about the, about the Constitution and what its purpose were for was uh, how they were going to accomplish things, defending it, so to speak. Here's the next one. Uh, conservative by principle. Now, this is... Uh, this is my way of doing it, and this also kind of takes in the strong moral code, that if you are conservative by principle, I want to see that they don't just do conservative things. I want them to see that these are part of them. Conservative means small, uh, small, gov small federal government. Large state government is fine, but small federal government, that's a conservative principle. Um, not throwing money at problems, I consider to be a conservative pr principle. Uh, Pro-life, we would consider to be a conservative principle. Uh, I look at the things that are, that are out there. I want to see someone who is conservative in their principles. Not just that they talk about it, but that they are principle or governed by principles and not just governed by a set of rules and regulations and so forth. Uh, it's kind of like the Christian equivalent of not having just religious laws, but having those laws written on your heart. And that's what I would look at with this one. I want these. Now, I want you to know something that is not on this list. And you may not, it may not jump out at you here or here. And so I put it on the next list. I put it at the top of the next list. But these are my primary things. I condense them all into three. But these are my primary things. When I'm looking for a president, these are the things that I'm looking for. Go on to the next list. 
these are the, uh, oh, put that on there just from the uh, part of it here today, that they are accompanied by high quality people. So I, that's actually a fourth one I added in there to my three that I had before. Because in the word of God, high quality people follow people who are going to govern well. So I put that in there for this. Accompanied by high quality people. Go on to our next list. And this is the secondary ones. Look at the first one that's here. A man or a woman of God. I don't put that on as a primary reason. And there's a couple of reasons for this. How many of y'all think that a Christian would be a better president than a non-Christian? I believe that too. But the process that we have now is keeping a lot of Christians from it. Christians of... Can you imagine as someone who is a full gospel, spirit-filled, baptized in the Holy Spirit person, ran for president? We would like it. But how would the news media handle that? They would be taking pictures of the church service and they would be having commentary on the side. Look at these nutso people running around the church. Look at them with their hands up in the air. Look at them with the shouting and, and look at these things falling. Look at these people falling over when they get prayed for. They would be having a, quite a time with that and they wouldn't make it out of the gate because they would be presented by the media in such a way that they wouldn't be, it wouldn't be accepted. Uh, that's not a reason to stay away from it. But I understand, I, I as a person, who, uh, a, a person of God, a man of God, I don't think I would run. I don't think I'd want to go through all that they w- would put you through. And here's the problem with a man or a woman of God going after the presidency. You're going to play by the rules. You're going you're to fight with moral character. But you're going to be fighting against people who have no moral character. And... Um, the closest thing I can think about this in the Word of God is the clash between David and Saul. High moral character going against low moral character. Who eventually won that? If you say Saul, Saul, I mean, if you say David, David did not win that battle. David eventually, after the second time of sparing Saul's life, he turned to his men and says, this is not going to end. I cannot kill him. I cannot fight my brethren. I can't go down to that level. There's only one thing we can do, guys. We've got to leave. And they left the country. Hurt him. But he realized, I can't go down to his level and fight. I can't do it. Saul had no problem going down to that level and fighting. But David couldn't do it. So he left. And that's what we're facing a lot of times in our country here today. The news media has been so overrun by ungodly people. And even to this day, still Christians put way too much stock in what they're saying. And give them way, way much more credit than, you know, I, I, we ought to just turn them off and not have them come into our, our house. I can't stand the commercials with these guys on it. But these guys are hideous. You look, look at how they even run presidential elections or the, the debates. They're not asking questions uh, worthy of a president. They're asking questions to try and do a gotcha asking questions to try and, and pull somebody down. They don't care about the real issues. They care about what can we do to make this person look bad and what can we do to make this person look good because they want to decide who it is who's running and who it is who's going to take it. So I don't put that on there. That to me is a plus. Herman Cain, when he came along, he was a plus. He, how many of you saw him uh, sing? Uh, oh, um, was it Amazing Grace he sang? I think I said, oh, I'll tell you what, the heart he put in it. It's like, oh man, this is, this is fun. I enjoyed that. But we're not having people of that kind of moral character. 
uh, Senator Cruz ran, and he was a person, uh, you know, he worshiped God and so forth. But there were still some things we saw in his character that came out that said, wow, how do you do that as a Christian? How do you come out and say those kind of things and do that sort of stuff with the Christian values that you say that you have? The way our presidency has gone, it's mostly because of the news media. The way that it has gone, it's, it's not a fair fight. And most Christians aren't even going to get involved in it. So if we keep that in there as a primary, we're not going to vote for anybody because we're not going to get the kind of people that we want because of the way the fight is. Most of us would get out. I don't want to stoop to fighting this way. And uh, I wouldn't do it. Here's another secondary qualification. Um, I already answered that one. Uh, Policies a president can affect. There's a lot of Christians who go around and they vote on a presidential candidate based on one policy or another. Pro-life is, of course, one of the big ones. If the president, if the candidate is not pro-life, well, you don't get my vote. (laughs) They don't care about anything else that the guy does or the gal does. They don't get my vote because of that. How, if you look at, if if the president operates under constitutional power, how much can the president affect the pro-life issue. He can't do it. He cannot write law. He cannot negate law. That's the courts. And the Senate is the one who writes, writes the law. So people are electing, supposedly electing a president based on an issue that he can't affect if he stays within the Constitution. That pro-life is not an issue for me that will determine whether I will vote for someone or not. Because I understand this principle. I would love for the person who goes in there to be pro-life. That's what I would prefer. But you ca- a president cannot overturn what the courts have already done. You need Congress to write a law. Then you'll need a president to sign it. But you first off need Congress to write a law. The president is not supposed to be able to write law and then just sign it into operation. We've got to make sure that he has a policy the, 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 whatever it is that we're voting for, that the, it's a policy that the president can change. If it's not, that's not what we're voting. Vote for your senator for that. Vote for your representative for that. Get those guys in there. They're the ones that... But the president, that's not it. So if we got two people up there, neither one of them are pro-life, you're just not going to vote for any of them? That's how we lose, lose things overall because presidents appoint Supreme Court justices. And they do affect this. So what kind of a, do we have a president who will elect or appoint someone to the post of Supreme Court justice who will be constitutional? We don't need a president to be pro-life to put a constitutional Supreme Court justice in. We need someone in there who has some of those other qualities we talked about, believes in constitutional values, um, holds these, these things. We need that. Then they'll pick somebody who believes in the Constitution. The last person picked four, the last two people picked for the, the uh, Supreme Court do not believe that the Constitution is a great document. How can you as a Supreme Court justice guard and protect the Constitution when you don't even believe in it? One of our Supreme Court justices, I forget which one it is, um, there was another country that was just getting started, they were starting up a new, new um, form of government, and this particular judge said to them, don't use the Constitution as your example. Really? You're supposed to defend the Constitution and you don't even believe it's good enough for someone to use it as an example to write one for their own country? 
But that's what we have. We have a lot of that in there. And um, that's not good. Those are the things that presidents are going to do. You've got to put somebody in there for that. And this next president, it, we, have a, we have one seat already open. The next president is going to pick it. For, for some reason, the Republicans decided to stand up and fight for something. They said, we're not going to take the next, uh, next uh, one that you do, which was done when Bush was in there as well. But uh, somehow they thought it wasn't right this time. But they said, no, we're going to wait for the next one. So the next president has already got one Supreme Court justice to pick. If they go on the side of the Constitution, then we can keep a five to four, all well, possible five to four advantage. That guy, uh, Roberts, is just, he, he's kind of, he was elected or put in office by somebody who believed the right thing, but he has changed over there. There's pressure out there to change, huge pressure to change. You've got to get somebody who, who didn't do it, who won't, won't change on these things. Um, policy the president can affect, uh, not just for show. Do they do things for show? One of the best examples of this was uh, President Clinton when he was at somebody's funeral. And, you know, he was walking on down and he was talking with, uh, I think it was Tony Campolo. I think they were having a conversation. And they were laughing about something. How many of you have ever gone to a funeral and laughed about something? Yeah, I've done it too. I mean, you're, you're not always morbidly sad. There are sometimes you're having a conversation with someone. You may laugh at something that they say. I think it's perfectly fine for that to happen. Well, anyway, they were having a conversation, and whatever uh, uh, Tony Campolo said, it made uh, President Bill Clinton laugh. Well, the camera was on him, and they caught the laugh. He just saw the camera. Did anybody ever see this footage? He had just seen the camera, and as soon as he saw the camera, his face, his countenance changed. He became sad, and he put his arm out like he was wiping a tear from his, from his eye. It's just uh, it's for show. Yeah, 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 well, well, the rest, if you saw it, if you saw it, you went, the, the change of uh, com, composure, and it was right after his eyes caught the camera, and then it, uh, it changed. That's a show thing. Uh, there are some presidents who go and they visit wounded warriors, and they don't let the cameras come in. And there are other presidents who won't do it unless the cameras are there. That's for show. I need somebody who's going to go in there who's not just for show, because then they're doing it by principles. They're not doing it just because uh, people are there. So these are some secondary things. These are some things I look at after that. Let's go on to the next, uh, next slide. That was, that was all we had on there. All right, so that's our slideshow for all that. What we need to look for as a presidential candidate is not necessarily are they born again and have all the, the values that we have because we are not electing a, uh, a pastor-in-chief. We are electing a commander-in-chief. What you need is someone who, who can make decisions that are for the benefit of the country a person that God can use. But one of the most important things to see is who does the person put around them? Not who they say they will put around them. Who in the life of this person has been around them? Who has made up their, their friends? Who has made up their influencers? What, uh, what books influence them? What authors influence them? What pastors influence them? What teachers, what uh, speak, who is it that influences these people? That will tell you what kind of people that they will pick for their, for their cabinet, for their, their folks that are involved there. That's what we need to see. And for both of them, both of the candidates that are there, we have history on them as to who they have picked, who they have put around them, the moral character of the people that they have put around them. We have that as, as, as things to look at. Those are the things that will make a president successful is the people that are around them. Not just their own individual moral code, 
their own individual training. It's the people that they will put around them. So when we go in there to, to vote, if we want to do this God's way, and I don't, I don't hold to the fact that if you elect somebody based on these principles and they turn bad, that you're held accountable for it. Because God picked Jeroboam. And I don't think God was pointing a finger at him and said, that's my fault, that's, that's my bad right there. I don't think God's doing that. <laughs> so I don't think he's going to do it to us either. But you've got to take a look at that. Who are the people that are around them? Uh, for, you know, one of the things I've used for years and it is uh, some of the people that are around our political candidates the most is the news media. If the news, peop- if the news media loves them, that's a reason for me not to vote for them. If the news media hates them, I'm taking a second look. Because the news media, to me, is the most ungodly uh, force we have in existence right now. They are horrible. And if they, as ungodly as they are, do not like a particular candidate, there must be something good. Got to be something good in there. Doesn't mean it necessarily is, but I'm at least going to investigate and begin to, to look at this one in there. So of the two, we basically have two choices. You can go for the third guy if you want to, but it's not going to do any good. He's not getting in there. and He's got his own set of problems too. Mm-hmm. We're looking at two candidates that are flawed. If we look at Trump, we don't like the things Trump says. We don't like the way he talks about other people. We don't like some of the uh, things that come out of his mouth. Why do you call people names? Why do you do this kind of thing over here? And, you know, I've heard all the different things that people have said about him, and, and certainly those things are, are there. Hillary's got 30 years of public service and can't point to a single thing that was good that she would want to do. I heard an interview that was done that somebody who was um, one of her supporters, and they were asked the question, what has Hillary done that you are proud of? And she couldn't, on, on air, could not figure that out and said, we'll have to get back to you on that. Um, We've got history on all these folks. Who are the people that they rely on? Who are the, who are the authors? That, and I, I know some of Hillary's. I know some of Trump's. So I'm going to take a look at those. Who are the people that they are bringing into their inner circle? I, I like some of the people that uh, Trump is bringing into his inner circle. You know, uh, of all the... Dr. Carson was one of the ones I, I enjoyed him as a candidate. like to... He opened his mouth. It was just like the wisdom of God speaking. Every single time he opened his mouth, I just loved hearing what he said. Still do. Still like that. But he never ran anything big. I mean, a surgeon's office is not anything big. That's not going to be, uh, that's not good training ground. That's the only thing I saw him uh, falter on was, was that. Um, love to see him have gotten some training in that and uh, probably could have gone on. But, uh, you know, for a while he had some, some steam in there. But he's one of the ones that Trump brought on his team. I look at other people that are, are brought on in, in there. Those are the things that I, I begin to look at. Um, I don't like these pastors and these, these guys that are going out there and say, well, this is God's man. This is, uh, I, I don't see Trump as being God's man. I, if, he be, if, if he has become born again, it's new. It's recent. And I'm not saying that he couldn't have. And I know he's making some claims and uh, some very... How many heard some very prominent ministers are out there claiming that he's, uh, he, he has done so? I'm not in the inner circle. I don't know if that's true or not. But I just look at the people that, uh, that they're going to be bringing around. Who are the people that Hillary has brought around? And are they people that as Christians we have respect for? Who are the people that Trump has brought around? And are they people that as Christians we have respect for? Who are the people that are influencing them? Because the people that they bring along to influence them 
are going to have more to do with the success of their presidency than what we're looking at is the individual qualifications of that person. So we look at this election here right now, and I'll tell you, I, I do not feel that either of these candidates are handpicked by God, and God says, I want that one to be in the office. I don't think we got that at all. But we really we have a choice of two. God knows we only have a choice of two. Amen. He knows we don't have a choice of, of, of 15. <laughs> we got a choice of two people. And you've got to pick which one of those that you're going to vote for. And if you don't vote for any, then the person who got in office, you helped them get in there. We've got we to get out there and we've got to do something. We have Christians have a responsibility to get out there and to vote and to, to be involved. But I realize we are not going to have our primary candidate in there. We're not going to have somebody who gets excited about, about going out to the, to the polls and, uh, and doing something. But who are the people that are there? Do you see the hand of God with the people that they have around them? So as we're getting close here, here take a look at them. Look at, the, look at the people that each candidate says, these are the ones I'm going to be putting on my cabinet. These are the ones that I have in my inner circle counseling me and talking with me. That's what's important because those are the ones who are going to take us on. God's man in, in the office of president or God's man in the office of being a king, not so successful. But when you take somebody who took the office, whether they became, came that way because they were born that way or some other way, when they came into office and they had good people around them, those are the people who were successful. I could not find in my time going through the Word of God and I went through the, the whole thing and looking at each one of them. I could not find a single king who was bad who had good people around them. Couldn't find a single one. And people who had bad folks around them couldn't find a single one of them who turned good. 100% of the people who were good had good people around them. And 100% of the people who were bad kings had bad people around them. That, to me, is the, is the most telling thing. We're going to do this from the Word of God. That's the thing we've got to look at. Who are the people they're going to get and put around them? And Supreme Court justice is, is just as much a part of that. The federal courts are another. They're, they don't get as much attention, but they are appointed by the president. They're approved by Congress, but they're appointed by the president. And uh, the Christian church lost a lot of ground these last seven years. It's just under the radar. The the federal judges that have been put in place are not deciding for the things of God. And they don't have a history of deciding for the things of God. But they were handpicked and they were put in these places. And there are federal judges all around, different, uh, different districts. I don't know how they divide all those things up, but you have uh, different federal courts. And once they get through that, if you appeal it, then you go to the Supreme Court level but it's the federal court level that you hit first. If the Supreme Court decides to take the case, then it goes before the Supreme Court. But if they decide, no, we're not going to take it. And, I, and it's not a... From my understanding of the Supreme Court, it isn't that if um, District 11 of the federal court system, if uh, they had a, court, a case and they decided something against the principles of God, against life, against whatever it might be that they decided against, it's not the whole Supreme Court that decides, well, should we review that? There is one judge who handles a particular federal district. They may handle two, three, four different dif- districts, but it's that one judge. That one judge will listen to the th- and they'll say, yeah, we need to bring this before the Supreme Court. So a 
single Supreme Court justice can stop something from going above the federal federal court if they're content with the the outcome of how how it has uh, done. Federal court justices are important, and they don't get a whole lot of attention. But this is something that a president is directly responsible for. And um, you know, the, I I think our federal responsibilities have gotten way bigger than they should be. The president needs to be focusing on being commander-in-chief, taking care of the uh, armed forces, guarding the border. Uh, judge appointments is, is certainly one of those things as well. Um, I'm not one of the libertarians. I believe that foreign policy is something that we should be involved with. But uh, I don't think that uh, uh, our federal government should be involved in as many things as they are. I'd like to see it be, be smaller. But anyway, that's the what I wanted to show you. That in the Word of God... Just when I saw this principle in there, I just was, was stunned. 100% of the people who had good people around him were good. 100% of the people who had bad people around him were bad. It wasn't off at all. So if, if you want to have some fun, you all have been through the kings before, go through it on your own and take a look and, and see. We're not always told about the people that were around them, but you can get, there are some things in there. You can get some clues of the, the folks that are around them. And sometimes we're just told who they were. About any comments, questions?